This is Defender Radio. Defender Radio is brought to you by the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals. It's the week of January 25th, 2016, and this is Michael Howie welcoming you to episode 310 of Defender Radio. The trophy hunting of grizzly bears and culling of wolves have been hot topics in the news in recent years. And it's only heating up. In British Columbia, we've partnered with Lush Cosmetics and numerous conservation groups to let the public know they can formally comment on new policy proposals under the hashtag, Leave Them in Peace. In Alberta and Ontario, we're constantly speaking against new policies that make it easier to kill wolves for unscientific and unethical reasons. And when the world looks to see just who these animals are, they often see them through the eye of wildlife photographer John Marriott. An accomplished and notable photographer based out of Banff, Alberta, John has donated his beautiful photos to numerous nonprofits and sold them to major magazines like National Geographic. He has spent his life refining his craft and become a master storyteller with his camera often giving a unique look inside the lives of animal families deep in the Canadian wild. He has also recently launched a new web series, appropriately named Exposed, which is already smashing expectations with high viewership and lengthy discussions. To share more about his life as a wildlife photographer, his messages against trophy hunting and cruelty, and what will come next, John joined Defender Radio. I want to talk about you first, uh, John Marriott, because I personally have been looking at your photos for a couple of years now. I know a lot of our supporters have been looking at your photos, but that's kind of the extent of it. That and the occasional blog post. So give us the background. Where where do you come from in terms of photography and wildlife and, and, and really who you are today? What's the story? Sure, Michael. So I uh, grew up in a small mountain town in British Columbia, Canada. Um, I was exposed to the outdoors at a pretty early age and uh, kind of took that love uh, and carried it forward into university. I went and did a degree at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver and at Berkeley in California uh, that specialized in wildlife management and parks and recreation. So I took that degree and moved to Banff, Alberta when I was 21. Uh, in the heart of the Canadian Rockies, and I uh, got a job with Parks Canada, and a couple of my bosses were very avid amateur photographers, and one thing led to another, and next thing you know, I'm a professional wildlife photographer, so that is kind of the, the short and quick of it. <laughs> so, uh, but the, what's interesting, though, is, and, um, you know, it, I, I enjoy taking pictures, mostly of my dogs and things around the, the, the home and so on, but... It, for me, even with the amount of time I spent doing it over the years, you know, when I was a, a journalist for a community newspaper, you kind of get roped into photography. Um, and I always found sort of, I can take a good picture sometimes. And if I've got good equipment, I can take a bit of a better picture. And then if I have the right software, I can do a little bit better. But your photos, you're getting on magazines. Uh, I think I saw Canadian Nature is one of the more recent ones, which is a, a big deal. Uh, so how do you sort of go from that, just I'm going to pick up a camera, to literally being, you know, one of the top wildlife photographers around? Uh, it it uh, sort of fell in my lap right at the start, and then uh, and then there was a big gap. So when I say it fell in my lap in, 
1996, uh, I had been photographing for a couple of years with my mum's Pentax ME Super and an old Vivitar zoom lens, and I uh, traded in my VW van and I bought professional camera gear for the first time. And in 1996, I got a call from the editor of Canadian Geographic magazine, which is an offshoot of National Geographic. And they uh, they said, do I, have, do I happen to have any pictures of grizzly bears from Kananaskis country, which is a region near where I live? And I said, yeah, I do. And I sent them in a couple shots. And next thing you know, they were publishing my first ever photo uh, in a magazine. And so I just thought, oh, geez, you know, the riches are going to fall on me. I'm going to be a fantastic photographer. And so I went down to the bank. I opened a bank account. I got a trade name. I started my business. And I sat back and waited for the riches to pour in. And that uh, that first year, 1997, I made a grand total of $717. So <laughs> it was a, a bit of a... Uh, uh, like I said, then there was a bit of a gap. Um, so <laughs> for the next four years, I struggled and kind of um, uh, worked odd jobs and all sorts of things, trying to get my photography business going. And finally, the year 2000, I was able to, to go at it full time. And it was probably about uh, 10 or 12 years ago where I really started to get comfortable and started to get a lot of exposure, particularly in Canada, but also in the U.S. and Britain, um, getting a lot of stuff in magazines, uh, everything ranging from Backpacker Magazine to uh, National Geographic to Canadian Geographic to Reader's Digest and so on. Yeah, and that's, uh, I got to think the, the internet probably played a role in that is it's a lot easier now to get in touch and say, here's what I can do. Um, again, I remember when I started in, in media and we had the giant um, portfolios uh, even for uh, for writers uh, in newspapers. So for photographers, I know it was the same way. And now I can literally click a button and send stuff. It's amazing. Um, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it, it actually, the internet played a, a very large role in uh, me sort of getting to where I'm at. And, and that's partly because uh, as I was starting my photography business, right at the same time, I launched another business with a couple of partners uh, in Canmore, Alberta, right beside Banff. And uh, it was web development. So as I started my photography career, I happened to just make my own website. And I was one of the first nature photography websites that was out there. My website actually began uh, in 1996. So it was uh, very early in the game. And it was definitely a niche that uh, allowed me to sort of gain a leg on some of the older, more established photographers that didn't have a clue how the whole website thing worked uh, early on. So, uh, And nowadays, of course, you know, I've got Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Google+, you name it, I've got it. And uh, people can find me with a, a click of the button or a quick uh, Google search pretty easily. Well, and that, I, I imagine, does make life a little bit easier when it comes to the business side of things. But one of the things, too, uh, I, I wanted to touch on with you is the ethics of wildlife photography, particularly in what I, I would personally consider, and I, I think most would agree to be, relatively sensitive ecosystems. Um, and I, I, I'd say this both in terms of the, the, the fauna, uh, you're dealing with a lot of plants that are sensitive and small, small amphibians. And then you're also dealing with extremely large carnivores and top apex predators. Uh, is this something, I mean, when you're, you're getting up close to, to bears and wolves, is this something that you kind of you learned through trial and error? Did you have a, a way you wanted to approach doing this? Or how did you get to where you're at now in terms of comfort and ethics with, with the wildlife photography? Yeah, great question, Michael. So I, I think uh, you know, early on, I just sort of stumbled about. I, I certainly had the interest in both the conservation side and the wildlife side and the photography side, obviously. 
Um, but a lot of it was sort of trial and error and figuring out what I wanted my own ethics to be around photography and what I wanted to put out there for other younger photographers and other wannabe photographers uh, to, to see sort of what I was doing and to mimic their own behavior after that. Um, and I think uh, over time I've sort of discovered that, uh, you know, I am dealing with a lot of very sensitive species. I deal with uh, endangered mountain caribou, with grizzly bears, which are a threatened species here in Alberta and, and throughout much of North America. Uh, with wild wolves, which are very easy to disturb if you're not careful about how you go about photographing them. Um, so a lot of that uh, I've just sort of learned along the way. And then at the last 10 years or so, I've really started to uh, to go into the biological side of uh, of the wildlife I photograph and, and figure out, you know, what do I need to do so that I am not disrupting them and not disturbing them. Um, and so ethics is really plays a huge role in my photography and I'm very proud to say that I don't bait animals. I never have. I don't go to game farms. I don't try and manipulate behavior. I don't try to make owls fly or any of that kind of stuff. I just let things happen and try and let it unfold. And uh, if I find that I'm disturbing or changing the behavior of an animal, I tend to abandon my encounter. And a lot of times I don't even start an encounter because I think, you know, there's no chance I'm going to be able to get over and photograph those wolves without them getting up and running away. So I just leave it alone. And I think that's a, a key lesson. Oh, absolutely. And uh, I, I imagine it also requires a great deal of patience, uh, particularly when you look at some of the photo sets and you can see sort of uh, the motion of how a scene unfolded in front of you. Uh, how long have you sat sometimes watching and waiting for the right frame to come in? <laughs> I've sometimes uh, sat from dawn till dusk or pre-dawn until post-dusk. Uh, particularly when I'm doing things like wolves, because you, you know, as we've alluded to, they're very, very sensitive species. Um, they're quite easily disturbed. So if I'm sitting at a rendezvous site, for instance, I will hide in my blind all day um, from getting there, uh, sort of in the, the pre-dawn uh, hour, and uh, just sit in there all day long. And <laughs> so sometimes nothing happens. Sometimes it's a fantastic day and I get all kinds of photos. But I would say a more normal day, I, I'm a, often a morning uh, type of person. So I'm out uh, wandering around or sitting in my blinds, uh, waiting for things uh, quite early and often leave by the time it starts getting warmer in the day. Well, and we're going to use the, uh, the word blinds to segue into uh, a really exciting new project of yours uh, called Exposed. And rather than me try and explain this, can you explain what it is you've you've created with, with this new uh, web series? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, exposed with Johnny Marriott is a no holds barred documentary style web series in which we're going to be tackling uh, some of the key wildlife management issues, particularly in Canada, but we are also hoping to branch out and uh, you know cover things uh, in the states and uh, and possibly even beyond, but particularly North America and and within Canada. Uh, and then we also just want to uh, we wanted to create a a web series that would appeal to nature lovers that just wanted to have something that they could go go and watch online every couple of weeks, ten or fifteen minutes with some pretty pictures and beautiful adventure. And uh, so we're not always going to be tackling the issues. We're going to kind of mix it up a bit and uh, just give people some good entertainment value and uh, and really try and educate people on. On some of these issues, so the the very first episode, which launched uh, last week on January 21st, uh, was about the grizzly bear trophy hunt in British Columbia, 
which uh, is something that I'm very strongly opposed to. And uh, so we did a, a hard-hitting six-minute expose on it, and uh, it has been extremely well-received. We've uh, had about 40,000 views already between YouTube and Facebook in just the uh, four days that it's been out. Well, that's extraordinary, uh, uh, particularly if you're sort of a, uh, a short Canadian-made production to be getting that kind of traction uh, so quickly. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a little bit of a surprise to us because we've sort of set our year-end goal is getting up to 100,000 viewers. Um, so to get 40,000 on the very first episode was, uh, I, I don't think we uh, we expected that. We didn't even tap into our advertising budget or anything yet. So that's partly, uh, I guess, just the, the following that I have online on Facebook and Instagram and through my blog and, and websites and stuff. And, uh, and just that it was a topic that's very sensitive, not just to to people in Canada, but uh, people in the U.S. are also uh, dealing with, you know, potentially looking at the grizzly hunt reopening around Yellowstone, for instance. And so it's a very hot topic. And uh, I think a lot of people, you know, look at this and go, how on earth is a place like British Columbia known for its gorgeous scenery and its tourism and so on, uh, allowing this to happen, you know, behind the scenes? And not only are they allowing grizzlies to be to be killed, but as I show in the expose, people can actually hunt off some of our paved roads 15 meters from the center of the road. So 15 yards away from the center of the pavement, they can shoot a grizzly bear. Mm -hmm. Well, and th this sort of opens an interesting discussion too. And it's something I know I, I, I read through a, a really lengthy chain on one of your uh, uh, Facebook posts about the grizzly hunt. Um, and I think it was actually also in regards to the wolf call, if I'm not mistaken. But there's this real clear belief that unless you are a hunter or a trapper and live out in the middle of nowhere, you don't know what's going on and you shouldn't have a say in what happens with wildlife management. But then we've got people like you who are going out and bringing us. I mean, I live in Hamilton, a city in southern Ontario, uh, an hour outside of Toronto near the border with the U.S. Uh, I don't see grizzly bears on a regular basis. I don't see wolves. I see coyotes and raccoons and squirrels and all kinds of other things. Um, so for me, it's wonderful that I can see this and be able to do it in a way that I know is sensitive, uh, uh, because you hold yourself to such high standards, but does that, is that something that you are feeling that you're, you're helping to get past this idea that only those who exploit wildlife, uh, or consume wildlife more particularly are able to weigh in and sort of see what's happening. Is that something that you're breaking down walls with? Through your photography and the series, yeah, yeah, I think absolutely. Um, you know, I think there, there's a number of different ways that I'm tackling it. Uh, you know, we'll be looking at uh, in future episodes at at the wolf cull, at uh, at more of this grizzly hunt, and, and with the grizzly hunt in particular, you know, you can tackle it from all sorts of different sides. You can tackle it from the ethical side and say, you know, just because you're out in the bush and you're the one exploiting this wildlife. Um, you know, what are, what are the ethics behind that? What are the ethics behind someone shooting a grizzly bear from 15 meters off of a paved road? Uh, so you can point out that side of things, but then there's also the economic side, which a lot of people I think are not aware of. And uh, so, for instance, with bear viewing, you know, I get these people coming to me and going, you know, I'm out there in the bush all the time. And I, I just reply back to them, well, so am I. And then they say, well, you know, uh, all my hunting fees go towards conservation. And I go, you know, so do all my donations at the end of the year from my photography business, which is made on the backs of that same wildlife that you're exploiting. And then they say, well, yeah, but, uh, um, 
yeah, there's various things that they they try and push, and I and I continue to push back, and and so far I haven't run into any hunters or trappers or anything that are able to to um, you know sort of stay with the argument. Um, you know, they eventually run out of things. They say the same old things time and time again, and everything is based upon, as you said, exploiting those natural resources, our wildlife. So if I look at bear viewing and I look at the economics, as I was mentioning there a second ago. Uh, bear viewing in British Columbia, there's been a couple of studies come out lately that have shown bear viewing in an area generates 10 times the number of jobs and money as uh, bear hunting does. So when I put arguments like that out there into the public, that really gets the gall of some of these hunters and trappers and so on that, that are out there. And uh, But it's an argument that they can't win. Um, you know, this is something that it's becoming more and more uh, pushing to the side of, uh, of environmentalists and towards people that love wildlife and that want to see a healthy ecotourism industry, healthy wildlife viewing industry. And the more and more money that gets put into this, the less and less of an argument these people have. So really they're sort of uh, shouting from the forest and not many people are listening to them anymore. So it's my hope that through the show um, I can get my side of things and the real side of things, the real economic side of things, the real ethical side of things uh, out to people a lot more clearly. Well, and that's something too that you know, is available through your website is book a photo tour. And that's something I think a lot of people may not know is possible uh, because we hear about um, uh, bear viewing, especially in the great bear rainforest, as you know, that's a really popular spot for viewing. Um, but what what is a photo tour? Because uh, frankly, that's something I think I would enjoy doing too. So uh, I'm I'm gonna take advantage of this <laughs> this moment to get it from the yeah, horse's mouth. So a photo tour um, is uh, basically I go and I figure out a, a cool trip to somewhere to the Great Bear Rainforest, to the Arctic uh, for polar bears, whatever. And uh, I organize everything. I charter out everything, whether it's a boat or planes or a lodge. And uh, for a price, then you uh, you know you pay your five or six thousand dollars, and your entire week's taken care of. It's an all-inclusive week, and from dawn to dusk, you have photograph all day long. Um, we just go, and so the Great Bear Rainforest, for instance, I do a spirit bear trip out there each September, and uh, my guests will arrive in Terrace, British Columbia. Uh, we get on a van the next morning and head down to a boat, and we're on a boat for a week then traipsing around in the rainforest, photographing white bears, black bears, humpback whales, um, all sorts of things. And it, it's really a magical experience. And uh, I don't know if you've have you got time, Michael, for me to tell you a quick story about a particular client on a tour. Okay, so a couple of years ago, uh, I had uh, I have a trip into the Kutzmatine Grizzly Bear Sanctuary, which is Canada's first and only sanctuary protected entirely for grizzly bears. That was the whole purpose of the sanctuary. So I lead trips there every May, and we're the first trip of the year. So it's from May 11th to 19th. And a couple of years ago, I had uh, a woman from Enderby, British Columbia, sign up on the on the trip. And uh, she showed up, and I exchanged emails with her a little bit, and uh, uh, had had her on a workshop uh, the year before. Her husband had been there sort of accompanying her. She booked this trip, and she told me, this is the first trip I'm ever done without my husband. And I thought, oh, you know, that's neat. And didn't really think much further beyond that. Well, she showed up on May 11th, and this was uh, two years ago, uh, in Prince Rupert, B.C., and we're down uh, having dinner with all the rest of the guests, and she tells everybody it's her first trip away from her husband. And I, so I 
said, well, uh, first trip ever? And she said, yeah, I'm 40 years of marriage. This is my first trip away from my husband. She says, and I'm missing Mother's Day, and I have five kids. <laughs> and I, thought, I can't remember how many, 13 grandkids or something. And she goes, I'm doing all this for this trip. And then she started crying because she was so emotional about you know, missing all of this. Well, we went out and we did this trip for a week long and she met a little grizzly bear on there called, uh, that she called Coda. So we, we let her name uh, the grizzly bear cub and it's a grizzly that I've watched for a couple of years since. And at the end of that trip, she told me that it was one of the funnest things she had ever done. And she said, when's the next one that I can sign up for? And she's since come on one more and now is signed up for another one this year. So, that's outstanding. Uh, yeah, so it's, uh, and that's the kind of thing that, you know, getting out on these photo tours, it just, it gets people out onto something they've always thought of or dreamed of. And it's just a fantastic experience when you get out there. Well, and that's what it, it certainly sounds like it. And again, when you when you really stop and you look around at what a lot of ecotourism has been, it is very frequently hunting trips. Uh, uh, and myself, you know, I, I obviously am not a hunter or trapper. I am vegan. So for me, it's always kind of like, eh, you know, I'll go to a cottage, I'll go camping. Uh, but that's it. But knowing that this kind of thing is out there, I think really opens up the wild and the uh, the the adventure that we all kind of crave to a whole new segment of people and like i i, I am very interested to see how it evolves in the coming years yeah it's uh, it's been a, a, a quite a surprise to me i did i started my tours in 2008 and i did a, a just a what i called a test trip to churchill manitoba for polar bears and i chartered my own tundra buggy and so on, sent out an email to a bunch of friends that I knew through photography, and I said, here's the price, who's interested? Well, it booked up in a day. I thought, geez, that's, wow, that's crazy. So 2009, I decided I'll offer two little test ones, and I did a couple, and they both sold out. Well, other than, a, a, I, I ended up expanding to seven trips in 2010, and there were a couple spots left over, but since that point, I've sold out every single uh, photo tour that I've done since. I've got 10 different tours coming up in 2016, going to the Arctic a couple times, going to spirit bears, going to do grizzlies uh, a bunch of different times. Uh, so all sorts of stuff. And uh, and I really see that not only are people going on trips with me, but I, I get these people coming on trips and they go, oh yeah, I just went on a trip with such and such to here. And, you know, it's not just one or two trips. These are what these people's vacations are now. And that's this is what they, they absolutely love. So it really is interesting to see the passion and the amount of money starting to flood in to this side of ecotourism with the wildlife viewing and wildlife photography. Well, absolutely. And I'll tell you, if you ever want to see extraordinarily fat raccoons in Southern Ontario, I could take you on a killer tour. I'm just saying. I'm in. I'm All in. Right. What's right. the cost? Yeah. <laughs> uh, bus fare to downtown Toronto. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> now, I, I think to kind of wrap this up, the, the question that a lot of people are going to wonder is as you're out there, you're seeing this firsthand, you're seeing these beautiful animals, the, the, the incredible clashing of, of predator and prey and ups and downs of ecosystems. And then all of us online are sitting here bashing our keyboards and writing letters. And I, how do you, at the end of the day, reconcile what you see in terms of just the 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 inspiring beauty, be it the 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 young cubs, like I'm looking at a, a photo of yours with the young grizzly cub and mother, 
or the, you know, the half-digested deer that you're bound to see and all of these other just intense things. And then go home and look at the news and see what governments and what uh, uh, outdoors associations are doing. How do you, at the end of the day, bring all that together and still get to sleep at night comfortably? I would hope. Well, I don't, I don't always sleep comfortably at night. But <laughs> <laughs> I do get uh, pretty riled up when I see uh, some of the stuff that's that's going on out there. Um, you know, I, I come back from trips and I'm inspired, and I and I often go out on a daily basis too. So I'm I'm regularly inspired living right here in the Rockies. Um, but uh, you know, I I can't avoid on social media, of course. You know, I use it for my business, and at the same time, I can't avoid seeing what's out there. But to me, that is part of the advantage of being a wildlife photographer with a following is that I can then take some of these issues and tackle them head on and say, you know what, that's not true. And put the word out there um, that, you know, whatever the, whatever the issue might be. So uh, to me, there's a, there are sort of negatives with, you know, not necessarily being able to reconcile it right away. But there are a lot of positives to, uh, to the way my career has gone and to being able to do a show like this. Um, that I can tackle some of these issues head on and, and try and educate people. And uh, I think I'm in a pretty lucky spot uh, considering that. So I'll give up the odd night of sleep for, uh, for that if I'm fretting away one night. To learn more about John and his work, visit wildernessprints.com or search for John Marriott Photography on your preferred social media network. That's the show for this week, folks. Until next time, this is Michael Howie reminding you to stay informed and stay strong.